0: Hello, my name's Tony Kemp. Welcome to the series Voices from Immediate Care. This is a series produced by the British Association for Immediate Care, where we talk to different individuals who have involvement in pre-hospital care. Some of the names are extremely well-known, others may be not quite so well-known, but they all represent the history of immediate care. Today we are talking to Dr Pam Crispin. Pam is a doctor with the Suffolk Accident Rescue Service, SARS, uh, the basic scheme uh, in the Suffolk area. But she's also a consultant intensivist and has flown as an air ambulance doctor with her local hem service. She talks to us today about those who've inspired her and about her own experiences in getting into and maintaining her pre hospital care skills. I'm going to start with asking, how did you get involved in pre hospital care, Pam?
1: Jeremy Morgan came up to Suffolk, but he knew I was really interested in trauma in ITU. Um, so one day he came and uh, probably 2005, I think, he just sort of came and tapped me on the shoulder and went, you know, we really need you responding on the roads. And I said, I just laughed and went, I don't think you need a small middle-aged woman in glasses. And he went, no, you're exactly what we need. <laughs> oh, so, um, of course, we didn't really have any any formal training program. So there was Jeremy Morgan, Jeremy Field, Andy Mason. Paul Silverstone was sort of, Neville retired, but Paul Silverstone was still around. And there's a guy called Craig Oranmore Brown, who's a South African. So a very interesting and eclectic group of people, but there were hardly any of them at that point. So we hardly had any doctors. Um, and like I say, I don't think they trained, and you trained a new doctor for about 10 years probably, because Jeremy, Morgan had come fully formed from he'd done london hems jeremy field had been in the military and then i think the next one up in age would be paul silverstone so um so uh, yeah i don't think anybody actually thought that you know maybe i needed to understand something about what it was all about because i haven't been in the back of well i've been i've done transfers but i had not been in the back of an ambulance learning in the back of an ambulance since i was a medical student so i i didn't really understand how the ambulance service worked So. I think I had a couple of shifts on an RRV, and the first shift we didn't do anything. And then the second shift, we went to the, it's still the worst accident I've ever been to. So a Porsche hit a Golf GTI on some really nasty bends. There were four people in the GTI, all of whom were critically injured. And when we arrived, we were first on scene, me and Darren Fowler. And when we Mm. arrived, the Porsche driver was crawling around the road screaming and spitting his teeth out. So I kind of ran past him. Bear in mind, I'd never been to anything. I ran past him going, airway tick. And <laughs> went to the guys in the, in the GTI. And, and at some point, all the, all the cavalry turned up. So Magpas turned up, EAAA turned up, um, everybody turned up, really. Um, and I got packed off to hospital with the semi-conscious woman uh, with the ruptured spleen because she was time critical. The guy in the Porsche ended up with a tracheostomy. my did a trachea on him. Because when they rolled him on his back, he obstructed the the driver of the GTI. I don't know who looked after her, Paul Silverstone, I think, and Craig. Um, I think she subsequently died, but after quite a long time in hospital. We found one later at the West Suffolk Hospital, the guy who was apparently uninjured, but he would actually was dissecting his thoracic, thoracic aorta, so he then got bundled off to Patworth in a hurry. So it was it was just like. Oh, my goodness. And I felt completely useless, completely useless. Um, I don't think I was, but I felt completely useless. Yeah. <laughs> so at that point I went, at that point I thought, I think I probably need to go and learn a bit more. So um, Archie Mawson, he arranged me to do a effect course, uh, which I did, and then and a PHTLS course, which I did. Um, so it would be about 2006, I think and then I did a few more shifts with people and then I felt uh, Jeremy just decided it was okay to release me into the wild so I did my first solo job I think on, oh I did a couple of shifts with the air ambulance as well just to understand how that works but I think I did my first solo job on the 23rd of July I think 2007 and again it was a multi-car pilot just at the road <laughs> and were, I, I never really managed to work out how many casualties there were but fortunately nobody was badly, badly injured. so that so was a good decision
0: Has it been a good part of your career? I mean, it's a lot of your
1: career. It's been, do you know what, Tony? It opens up a whole new world for me. I I think, because I've been a single mum for a while, I've been a part-time registrar for years and years, and I'd kind of just had to put my head down and get on with being a consultant. So I've probably been a consultant, I've been a consultant about seven years. I think I just got to that point where I was like, yes, I, I can do this, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm probably looking around, getting a bit bored now um the kids were a bit older but it was absolutely you know if i if i was kind of 28 again i'd want to do it right from the start it's my personal circumstances that that yeah. kind of but yeah i was absolutely absolutely loved it. it it was i felt it absolutely played to my mindset and my skill set
0: what is it that it's bringing what what what's the buzz it sets off
1: um that good northern sense of humor i think it was. <laughs> um so i think i think Especially coming from ITU, that ability to work as a team, and and the flexible team, so so to pull together an ad hoc team to get the best out of every individual. Not yeah. that I'm saying I always do that, but but I think you you do learn those skills in ITU. That that sort of ability to to just make people perform really well under difficult circumstances. I think that's really important you know anesthetics and critical care is is useful in terms of just being able to wang the lines in so you don't even have to think twice about tubes and lines and that makes it under drugs as well so I think that makes it easier um so so yeah I think I think having a really good solid basis in anesthetic intensive care and I've done emergency medicine or A&E as it was in those days um but I think that I just So I was confident in my skills the tricky bit was applying in a different environment but then when I worked out that the different environment was all about teamwork um, then it actually got a lot easier I, I think some of our younger guys now coming through feel they have to do everything themselves as the doctor and actually just one of the most amazing things for me has been understanding how unbelievably good paramedics are. Oh, so my first trip out in a DSA, so I did an observer shift on a DSA. We went to a stabbing in Norwich. Now, in those days, stabbings were pretty rare. Um, so this guy, single stab wound uh, through the neck, into his heart, into his right ventricle. I think he's on the knife. Um, so, in traumatic cardiac arrest. Again, no idea what to do. Uh, so, uh, put some lines in. Put a central line in, standing on one leg in the back of the ambulance. I <laughs> remember that bit. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't have the kit or the skills or the knowledge to do a thoracotomy, but he had, I mean we just whizzed him into the NNN, and he had a thoracotomy when we got into the NNN because it was uh, Howard Sheriff. so um, yeah, so so he did a thoracotomy in the middle of a and um, so yeah. But but what really blew me away on that on that sort of day out was, and there were a technician crew actually, was how amazing they were. The people they kept at home, their risk management, their compassion. I, d- I just thought these are amazing people to work with. So I loved working with the ambulance service guys. And then I think um, when I joined Basics, and Andy Mason talked me into being chair, really. He said, you know these are the nicest people you've ever worked with. And it's absolutely true so just that these are all people doing things for the right reasons very quietly you look at Jeremy I mean the man's an absolute legend Rod Wells absolute legend they just go about it very quietly they don't blow their own trumpets and yet they're just amazing at what they do so just a nice group of people and honestly in all this time I can't think that We've we've had the odd disagreement obviously, but we've we've never had any major problems and you cannot say that about any other part of your life. I this is the part of my life that, that just goes really nicely and smoothly and you know we, we kind of we all get on and everybody's rowing in the same direction without effort. It's lovely. I I really that that's the best thing about basics, I think, is is definitely being part of that family really. That's yeah. it, it feels like a family. Um, and people just get it and um, you know if you're feeling miserable about a job or you think you've done something not perfectly people are just so kind and understanding because they've been there um and you know you get you get chippiness don't you in it in a and e so you take a patient in and they go why have you brought the patient here Or why have you done that what's his name what's his blood sugar what's his serum rhubarb you know I'm like, come on guys and, and your basics family will understand why you didn't it.
0: So, I mean one, one of the interesting things for me you, you, you've mentioned it you're a single mum uh, you describe yourself as a middle-aged uh, what's a short middle-aged
1: small, small, small middle-aged woman glasses yeah
0: yeah <laughs> not many ladies actually do pre-hospital care in the same sort of way that you have done that I have done as, as volunteers as part of a, a local immediate care team. Yeah. what advice would you give
1: Yes, so I didn't notice that for quite a while. I'm not, I'm not very good at noticing the lack of women. Um, <laughs> I do notice. It. So when you get together with somebody really great like Alison or Fiona Moore, then and you start chatting, then you realise actually you do quite miss having other girls around. Um, and obviously in in SARS we had um, we've got our other Fiona, um, and we've we've got a couple of female CCPs as well, and we've got Fiona Virgo as well now. So we so we do have some girls. So my advice the women is um it it doesn't make any difference it's not it's not a macho game it's not it's not about having lots of testosterone being bigger and stronger than anybody else um you yes i so you know if there's some heavy lifting to be done i'll cheerfully stand back and let the young fit guys do that but if there's some some egos to be ruffled and you know some encouragement to be done then often the girls are better at that so i think you've got to play to your skill set there's Lots of things I stand back because the paramedics better at it than I am. The firemen are better at it than I am. You know, I think you've got to, you've just got to play to your strengths and accept that you're not going to be the absolute best at everything because that's that's why it's all about teamwork, really. I think there's a massive difference between basics and femme in the way that I feel about being a girl in those systems. So I think femme air ambulances can be very macho environments you know heroes in orange jumpsuits but i've I found basics is a much more like i said before you know the people are much more humble the volunteering um it, it kind of fits better with the psyche i think so and we do we do have lots of i mean we've got nurses um female nurses as well as male nurses we've got male nurses as well you, you know we've got quite a few female doctors now so i i, I I never even see it these days I just don't see it but I do see it in femme so you know when they're having a competition to see who can do the most pull-ups I always threaten to get my my chair out and start a knitting competition um just just don't see that with basics I never feel and it's fine I do get my knitting needles out sometimes and knit some scarves for the teddy bears um but that's, that's just part of the war effort you know
0: yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> but when you look back over your, your career, um, what's been the, the biggest sort of technical challenges that have come along that you sort of scratched your head about and thought that's really not going to work and you've seen them wander off and disappear into the sunset?
1: Yeah, so I think tasking for basics is still, certainly in the east of England, is still really difficult. Um, it, it's it, that kind of fitting an ad hoc volunteer role into such a structured um rotor driven system I've I've found very frustrating over the years. Even when they I finally managed to prize a radio out of them. they still wants just to book on and book off. They work they don't text us with jobs, you know, so there might be a call of arrest just at the road but they don't send you to it because you're not logged on. Um, so I found that really frustrating. Um, um, but they they really struggle with their volunteer workforce, and they, they've kind of bent the CFRs to their will because there's so many of them, um, and they can basically to them. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think um I think that's the other thing. I think we're better now, but I think understanding how we can best add value um as as advanced practitioners, so not just the doctors, but the the you know. Specialist nurses. So we've got. Do you know James whatley he's, he's our chair. Know, Absolutely wonderful specialist cardiology nurse. And um, runs the skills lab. Has done outreach. He just brings a huge amount to the party. But of course, everybody in this door. And he's an independent nurse prescriber as well. So I think he's brilliant. Um, but everybody, you know, it's like he's, he has to prove his credentials all the time, and that's really unfair. I think. um Yeah. And he didn't want to be chair. He felt the doctor should be chair, and I had to, I had to shoot him. And say, just get on with it. <laughs> so, and he's a much better chair than I was. We probably needed me to do things like move our premises, um, uh, change over to a CIO. Probably needed me to do some of the tricky things. And now James is doing a really good job, being nice and consolidating and all the rest of it. So, um, I, I think the other big challenge, certainly as chair, was running a small charity with very few staff but still having all the duties and obligations of looking after your staff I I found that really difficult and I'm sure you've you've been the same really Um, especially because you you're so distant. I mean at least we're quite close but so so yeah so moving moving out to our little little business park in the sticks was was quite quite a a nice thing to do And but yeah it has I think I would say the last 15 years, it's got really difficult to operate a small charity yes. um, with all the various kind of pressures on us really. Um, on the upside though, you know, training has got dramatically better. I think that's much more robust. Um, equipment has got loads better. I think we've got really good systems now for introducing new equipment, getting people signed off on it. we um, got team shifts, which we never had. So I feel that's really useful for training. So we start everybody on team shifts and then, after six months or a year, if they want to go solo, they get have a sort of sign-off process. So I think our clinical well, there wasn't any clinical governance when I started, really. Um, and then we were threatened. Do you remember we were threatened with um, having to be CQC registered? So because um, that was going to cost us ten grand, I think, which would have been a huge amount of the time, and we just didn't have the people to do to do the work, really. Um, so yeah, so some no, of the regulations have been changed. a major difference,
0: isn't there, between fulfilling the requirements for CQC as part of a commitment to an organization that signed up to it versus actually managing your own system. So are you still on the <laughs> road, I know you've stepped back from the air ambulance, haven't you?
1: I I have, I had pneumonia in November, but I blame the basics conference. <laughs> Do you remember I had to go on day two we because I was fine so well we all went to Madrid? Yes. yes. So um so it's we went to, to Madrid, Airbnb. went to the Davis Cup, yeah. And um while we were in out in Madrid we, Wayne and I both came back really, really poorly. So mine turned into pneumonia. So I had a week, a week, a month off work, which I've never done before. Um, so when all this happened, um, the advice and the consultant was no frontline stuff for you. So, um, so yeah, so I'm off the road. I'm off everything. Um, working at region, um, running, running. So I'm organising the facility transfers across the region. Yeah. So We've never managed to achieve it before. So well, this is the first time we've actually managed to move patients around um successfully.
0: So and, and again that must be drawing an awful lot on your experience with the yeah. scheme and with immediate care and that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Absolutely, because I probably am the only person who understands all the bits of the system. Yes. Um so yeah, so that's been really, really helpful. Um so we've got the air ambulance teams and the basic teams, pension's retrieval teams. Um we're using East Ambulances and obviously the hospitals, the twos and froms. So so yeah, having me medical director and acute trust as well has really helped because I know we do a weekly medical director's call as well. So so yeah, so I have been in broad in all parts of the system really. So I'm just a jack of all trades these days.
0: If I was to ask you over your career in pre-hospital care, what is the one innovation that you think has really changed either the way we do things or or, or the way you know, the impact that we have, what would you think that would be? Mm.
1: I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's been for us, it's been the introduction of the team. So I think whilst so I'd still believe solo responders are really valuable and yeah. still remain the backbone of the of the charity, having the team, RRV, and and working together, the doctor paramedic team working together, has really it's been very enabling in that people have taken us seriously we've we've been very visible in in all senses of the word um it's professionalized what we do so we're still a charity we're still volunteers but we've we've i think we've moved the image on from the gp with a bit of extra kit in their car to a professionalized service so i think really oh that pains me because i still think the solar responders are absolutely the backbone of our service but but i do think the introduction of the team rrv was the big game changer for us um it's just enabled so much really you know the clinical governance that came with that because of kit checking you know when i think of the old days the stuff people used to have in their boots um so it, it was just the driver for really good governance good medicines management it enables us to train in a robust way and and to give people confidence that they can do this in a in a safe environment. So so for me, that's probably been the big the big change really. I mean, there's all the sexy stuff like ultrasounds and so on, but
0: it, it's interesting because if I ask that question of other people, they come back to the same thing. And if they haven't got a scheme vehicle, yeah. they're still talking about the team. Yeah. And the training that's available, and the integration within those teams, and that, yeah, Uh, Yeah. and then those places where they have lost the local crews because the 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 um you know they've gone to sort of more, not even locality centres, but but these make ready stations at surf. Oh
1: yeah, yes.
0: There's a a sense that actually there's a loss in that because you generally don't meet necessarily the same crews
1: no no and that that's that's you know that that kind of cruising around on a friday night driving around the local ambulance stations popping in for a cup of tea having a bit of chat to people that that's really valuable i think that's we do a lot of that just sitting having a chat and go oh i'm glad you're here can i just ask you about so and so and you can pick your brain their brains about the latest pathways and changes and everything i i think they're really the, the local connections are really valuable, you know. It's that it's that being embedded in your own community stuff yeah, yeah. that's really valuable. People know who you are, they know what your <laughs> skill set is, and the same you know what everybody else is capable of. Those personal connections are really, really important. And I think the the other thing, you know, as you get older and less active clinically, you know, we we can still we we can still use people, and they're still a value to the charity when they're in their seventies, eighties, and that that's that's again i i think for clinicians when you retire that could be a big blow and actually it's, it's still a support mechanism for people when they've retired and i think that's that's a really interesting concept you know it's that kind of again that comes out of being embedded in the local community doesn't it because you're yeah. still going to see those people they're not going to disappear off so
0: for for those of us still in in the role it's also the sense of being able to connect with some of these people who in some cases were hugely inspirational to us um other cases we we sort of stumble across as as we sort of wander down the pathway of immediate care but they bring they bring some of the culture with them and we we recognize what they're on about
1: yeah yes Um, that's true
0: yeah yeah and and although their problems and issues may have been completely different from ones we're facing that it's all with that in that same ballpark but it's all within that same spirit And you said the family and things like that yeah it
1: is it is it's it's i know when we moved offices it was quite interesting because we've been in such a tiny office in turret lane i don't know if you remember our office there was never any parking so people never went there and when we moved into the new office everybody kept finding an excuse just to pop in (laughs) it's just like everybody was always there having tea and cake and a bit of a gossip so it is that lovely sort of family atmosphere, I think. Yeah, I think that's
0: really important. Yeah. So you've mentioned Jeremy as being Jeremy Morgan as being a, a huge sort of influence.
1: Yeah.
0: Who else would you see as, as being those oh, sort of individuals? In so,
1: so for me, and Andy Mason, very definitely. You know, he he, you know, he didn't have a day off for decades. The first time I encountered Andy, he used to bring his patients into our emergency department. And he was slightly weird. And I can never quite work out who he was because he stopped being a GP at that point, even though he wasn't actually that old. Um, so they were all, they, they, he didn't really intubate because he was not an anaesthetist. although so he had done a bit of anaesthetics, but he had this intubating laryngeal mass thing, which is a really weird device. I, he really sort of piqued my interest. And I thought, well, you're slightly strange, but actually you're clearly doing these patients a lot of good and adding a lot of value to these patients. Um, and he, he, I always remember his handovers. His handovers are really good as well. Um, so it's like, oh, is really interesting so i sort of encountered andy before i encountered jeremy but i never i never really understood what it was all about and then when jeremy came to hospital of course it suddenly clicked Um, what what this young dr mason was doing running around um saving lives virtually single-handed at that point i think um until jeremy pitched up and then jeremy fields um joined as well um yeah so i think andy andy was sars for a little while um, and and always on duty, and and so generous with his teaching and his experience. Um, funny, you know, very generous in many ways. And then, you know, I have to mention Alison Walker, who's been my great kind of guide and, and guru, really, from an ambulance service perspective. I, w- I would also say, so um, John Scott, I think, as medical director of our ambulance service, very much encouraged the basics model. As so Also, Scott Turner responded for NARS in the early days. He was deputy medical director, John. Um, yeah. Scott, Scott really helped me think about basics and, and its place and almost how to behave, if that makes sense, and you know, how to present yourself on scene yes. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Scott was yeah. really good at that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And then yeah. there's some, you know, some fantastic paramedics um who've responded for SARS over the years um I'll particularly mention Damon Weddon um who I think has been another great role model um we were sitting in my garden having a cup of tea once and we heard a bang at the road and we kind of looked at each other and went shall we go <laughs> so, so off we trundled and did a little job it was a lady who crushed her half the, half the um but he was a he still is a fantastic scene manager so I learned so much from demo about how to organize a scene, you know, stroll into it, never run anywhere, you know, always take your time, stand back. So I just learned so much from these guys.
0: So you've given a lot of your time uh, to basics. You've given a lot of time chatting now. Thank you ever so much.
1: Oh, Tony, it's lovely <laughs> talking to you.
0: Well, no, it's really good to hear about, you know, a, a jobbing doctor, so to speak, and what you've been up to and very much a doctor on the road. Thank you Pam. So a fascinating insight there from Pam on her involvement with pre-hospital care. It was particularly interesting hearing about some of those characters uh, who were around her and who very much have formed her practice and I just want to again thank her for her time and trust that you've enjoyed listening to this and encourage you to listen to other interviews within the series, Voices from Immediate Care. This is Tony Kemp on behalf of the British Association for Immediate Care. Thank you.